0: and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gabby Baker-Whitelaw and here is my co-host, Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we are discussing the Disney Plus show WandaVision, which is the first big budget Marvel Studios TV spinoff. The showrunner is Jack Schaefer, who is the writer and director of a really fun little sci-fi rom-com called Timer. And the concept of this show is the two main characters are Wanda Maximoff, aka Scarlet Witch, played by Elizabeth Olsen, and Vision, a synthesoid, played by Paul Bettany. (laughs) And the overall premise is that they're kind of trapped in a sitcom pocket dimension where... Each of the earlier episodes takes place in a different era of American sitcoms starting in the 50s, which is a very cool little concept. And as the show evolves, you gradually find out the sci-fi fantasy reason why these two Avengers are having a much more artistically interesting time than usual. And since the ninth and final episode wrapped up this week, we thought we would do a little podcast about it. And um, it's been an interesting ride. I've been covering this extensively, so I have a vast array of both information and opinions. Uh, Morgan has a vast array of opinions and far less information, I'm guessing. Uh, How are you doing? (laughs) Uh, Well, I had
1: the second phase of a root canal yesterday and took some Percocet this morning, so we are recording this (laughs) a couple of hours after we had originally planned, because I'm slightly stoned, uh, also having a kidney stone, so if I sound slightly off from my usual, you know... I mean, this is heroic. ...crystalline tones, uh, the Percocet is the reason why, but I will attempt to be as clear as possible... I also did not like this show at all, and any filter that I might have had is
0: out the window because of the drugs. I liked the earlier episodes, and I like Paul Bettany.
1: I adore Paul Bettany. I think he's one of our great actors who has had a hilarious career because he's a hack. (laughs) So so he's made like three good movies, maybe, and otherwise has made garbage because he doesn't give a shit. He's made his choices, but uh, I was certainly more open to what the show was doing in the earlier episodes, although I didn't love it at any point, but rapidly I was like, oh, no, no, they're just doing Marvel bullshit like they always do, and I was proven correct by the last third, I would say.
0: Yeah, so like, obviously we're going to be discussing spoilers extensively. I'm sure most of our listeners will have watched the show, but many will not. The first four or five episodes are relatively straightforward kind of sitcom pastiches with increasing amounts of kind of Marvel stuff injected into it. So interestingly, the first two are fully in black and white, which I think for some viewers was a little confusing because people find it hard to tell the difference between the 50s and 60s. Um, But... Starts off with like a 50s TV show, which is kind of playing around with shows like the Dick Van Dyke show and I Love Lucy, which were like early American sitcoms, uh, kind of anchored by extremely successful and talented comedians. And then they go into the 60s where there's a pastiche of Bewitched, which is a famous sitcom where like the wife is a witch in a sort of nice little wholesome suburban family. And then they go into a 70s sitcom, which is kind of a bit like the Brady Bunch, but You know, want to envision only have two babies who have just been born instantly by magic, which is very fun. And then you have like 80s and 90s sitcoms as well, and going into the present day. And at the same time, like for those first three episodes, it's very much just like they are basically acting like those kind of styles of sitcom performance, which is very fun. And the show has gone to a hell of a lot of work to give them the correct kind of sets in their suburban house and like film things in the correct way and use the right kind of joke construction. Morgan and I both kind of agreed it wasn't as funny as the Dick Van Dyke show, but that's a hard sell because they'd have to have like the best comedian, like the best comic writers in the business, which they don't. They have normal TV writers. But kind of the secondary element is obviously the general kind of Marvel crossover MCU stuff, which is anchored by a new character named Monica Rambeau, played by Teona Paris. She's like a sci-fi government agent. They've introduced a new agency called S.W.O.R.D., which is essentially identical to S.H.I.E.L.D., um, but like they're more bad or whatever. But uh, Monica Rambeau is this kind of agent slash agent astronaut who is the daughter of captain marvel's sidekick from the 1980s so we've got that in they've got a couple of other characters from other parts in this in the franchise who have more traditional sidekick roles and can be sort of fed into the investigation so you've got all these kind of marvel-y people sitting outside of this town which is this kind of magical bubble created by wanda's magical powers which she is using to fuel this sitcom scenario which is her kind of illustrating her own internal desire for like a happy family life and to spend more time with Vision, her husband, who is in fact dead. So she has created this like new Vision uh, to make up for the fact that, you know, R.I.P. Paul Bethany's on-screen presence in Avengers Endgame.
1: I mean, I think the beginning of the problem with this show which is wildly popular. I'm sure many of the people listening to this podcast enjoyed it a great deal. And that is wonderful for you. Congratulations. Sincerely, like if you liked watching I mean, the show. I liked that's great. a lot of it.
0: And then by the end I was just like, Marvel, why? <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the
1: problem with this show really begins with the fact that these characters and her character in particular are not people I felt any investment in whatsoever before the show Oh yeah, they have to fabricate
0: everything in the show.
1: Yes. And obviously, when you watch television show, normally, you don't go in with any preconceived notions or emotions about the characters, right? Like when I started watching Mad Men, I didn't go in being like, well, I know all about Don Draper, right? (laughs) Like that's the work of television is to make you care about these people. But because... This show is not a normal television show. It exists within this huge fabric of this pre-existing universe. You do kind of need to already feel stuff about these people. And it's all set up as like a story about this one woman's grief about her dead husband. I think I was reading an article on Polygon. I'll try to find it. The writer had literally counted the number of minutes they'd shared on screen together before this show, and it was seven (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah in the previous movie, and, like most of that isn't relationship, like they basically have a relationship yeah. that materializes out of nowhere after the two characters have been in like one film together because like the characters are a couple in the comics, and the thing that's kind of happening at this juncture of the Marvel franchise is that um they're essentially kind of emulating. The structure of the comics where you have, you know, obviously they they already had this thing where you have individual movies which then lead into big crossover events, which is how superhero comics have functioned for decades. But um, the things they're putting on Disney Plus now are more equivalent to when you have like a prestige miniseries in the comics. And there's plenty of comics which, if you're familiar with Marvel, you'll know. Stuff like the Vision in the Suburbs comic that happened about three or four years ago, that, that was like a heavy influence on this. And... Also, there's the the Hawkeye series and stuff like that, like or Young Avengers or even like Ms Marvel as a solo series um kind of comics that have a really big fan base in their own right and feel innovative and are artist artistically interesting and are critically acclaimed and they can stand alone, but also those characters kind of feed into the main franchise, and that is very much what they're doing with these Disney plus shows because there's a lot more room for like character development and stuff rather than just pure explosions but the difference between this and something like the Hawkeye series in the comics is that this show is like perpetually kind of dragging back from that and tying back into the MCU, which I don't think is necessary, uh, but is clearly very popular with a lot of audiences. Cause I wound up writing about this shortly before the finale, there has been like a colossal gap in audience reactions where like, obviously the show is popular across the board between people who are really hardcore fans and people who aren't. But, the the kind of there's so many people who are responding to the show as if all the stuff that isn't Marvel Marvel crossover content is just like filler. So people were complaining that the first three episodes were slow, and the showrunner essentially had to kind of apologize for that slowness and be like, Oh yeah, well, we know that a lot of Marvel fans will be annoyed that we're not in like the correct wheelhouse for you guys, but if you stick around, there'll be some more for you later on. And I was like, Well, there is. And from Morgan and I's perspective, that's like a worse part because it's not. Actually, it doesn't have any kind of emotional hook. It's just like, oh, here's some references and the typical old formula, which is not in itself compelling storytelling.
1: Well, they've just trained people to consume culture in this way. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I get the satisfaction of like tr- wanting to try to figure something out, and like the mystery box thing, I often find very tedious. But I do understand wanting to solve the mystery and their, like, the clues, right? Like, I loved Lost when it was airing. And that was so much about what does it all mean? That show also, crucially, had really, really compelling characters and many talented actors who, you know, embodied those characters in a way that made you care about them. What the discourse around this show reminded me of a lot was was definitely Lost Um, Game of Thrones, of course, too, but it reminded me a ton of the first season of True Detective when everybody on the internet was just losing their fucking minds trying to figure out, like, what all of the weirdo references in that show meant and, like, who's the yellow king and what does it all mean? And the, like, Reddit was melting down trying to figure out, you know, what was happening. And, like, none of it meant anything. (laughs) But, you know... We are not the first people to observe that this is the direction that television culture has been trending, right? And I think the difference between something like Lost or True Detective, which are shows that I think have sort of positive and negative elements to them, but they don't resolve satisfactorily, right? Like, you get to the end of Lost and everyone's like, what the fuck was that (laughs) It didn't work. And the end of True Detective made me realize that the whole thing had kind of been a house of cards with good actors in it, right? And
0: what Marvel is able to do is monetize that by make everything end as a teaser.
1: <laughs> yes. All of the plot stuff always fits together. It never ends. I was listening to the podcast The Watch the other day and they compared it to a um a like a cell phone mobile video game where like It's never over. You're just going to keep playing to the next level, right? But you also never have that feeling of like, oh, they don't know what they're doing, right? Like, I have such respect for Damon Lindelof, as we have discussed on this show in the past. I think he's a great writer. But clearly, when they were making Lost, they were getting pressured from the studio to continue this sort of like mirage of. There has to be a mystery. And they were like, okay, like we'll just make shit up. Like, they didn't have a big plan. Whereas with Marvel, they clearly do have all this stuff mapped out. And so I think for people who enjoy that kind of storytelling, there's this sense of security of like, oh, it's all going to make sense. But there's no depth to any of it at all. So it's purely like doing a crossword puzzle or something, which I enjoy. But like, what's the point
0: well, of thing The thing, the like, thing that cares, really frustrated right? me about WandaVision is that the central themes of the show were set out very early and are very clear, but not in a way that's just like overly childish. So the story is about Wanda trying and failing to kind of handle her grief for her lover who is dead, but she has the ability to bring him back to life in this sort of simulacrum And so they get to play around with all these kind of ideas of suburban family life and her kind of using this fantasy to shield herself from her own, you know, emotional torment. And it's great because it gives actually interesting roles to these two very talented actors who are basically doing fuck all in the films, which is fair enough, because like that's what they signed up to do. And for the most part, like for the earlier episodes, all of the kind of Marvel tie-in stuff felt like a good balance because like obviously some of it's corny but like whatever that's kind of the the price you pay to be watching this kind of show so there's stuff that i liked like they have um the guy who played quicksilver in the x-men franchise has a cameo or actually like an extended role as her brother quicksilver in the marvel franchise because the marvel quicksilver is dead so they brought in the other guy and it's like a fun little you know piece of stunt casting which loads of people were kind of speculating would lead into a like X Men crossover in future, but actually turned out to just be stunt casting, which is fine. And um, a couple of the other Marvel crossover characters they use are played by sitcom stars. So the actors who play Darcy Lewis and Jimmy Woo are both sitcom stars. It's like a nice little piece of casting. Stuff like that is good. But the fact that they kind of didn't fully stick the landing is frustrating because it was like so easy and obvious to do because the whole arc is clearly leading into a kind of denouement where Wanda comes to terms with the death of her husband and lets go all of the people she's been brainwashing to pretend to be her suburban sitcom neighbors in this in this new jersey village <laughs> and that will be the conclusion like we know pretty much from the start that's basically how it's going to end cuz it's the arc of her dealing with her grief and All of the fans who were kind of predicting that the show would end with like a wizard coming down from the heavens and announcing something is like, obviously that wasn't going to be how it would happen narratively, but they still managed to engineer a finale where like most of it is kind of people throwing laser beams at each other. And the emotional catharsis is about five minutes of the episode. And it's like, there's no reason to do this. You can have 15 minutes of the episode be like people talking about their feelings and still have quite a lot of time for the objectively uninteresting action scenes. <laughs> and the fact that they kind of deprioritized what they were saying was the crucial like essential element of the of the show in the final couple of epi- episodes was just like why? Why do this?
1: But I don't think the show had anything to say about grief at all. No. It was about grief, but it didn't have anything to say about grief, except that grief is sad. Which we all know. Like, (laughs) yes, I'm aware that grief sucks. But, like, there was nothing... It It had themes because it told us it had themes. But there was no illumination
0: yeah they kind of dipped of a toe anything. in and because the actors are so strong it was like you're definitely I mean I at least was like I find these characters compelling and also also, I already loved Vision despite the fact that he's like a non-entity in the films because love, love a robot but they dipped the toe in and then instead of like going a little bit deeper in the past last few episodes they were like okay the toe's been in bring it out again <laughs>
1: I felt almost nothing watching this show, even in the earlier episodes where I was totally, like, entertained by it. I wasn't, like, having emotions, right? I thought that Bettany was great. As I said, I think he's just a, like, phenomenal, phenomenal actor who has mostly spent his career making garbage, (laughs) which, again, he's made his decisions. What can you do? But I think just the fact that through voice work, like, he's been around these movies for so much longer, you do kind of have some sense of him as a presence. Yeah. And he's been an actor in stuff for so long that I think, speaking only for myself, like, I just have an attachment to him as a person. I mean, he's just a very, very funny person. If you watch any of his interviews, he's he's just a, an entertaining man. But also... I think he has kind of the easier role because he's been brainwashed too. Yeah. And so he gets to have a couple moments where like, he doesn't, but he he kind of starts to figure out that something's not right. Right. So those moments where he's like, what is going on? And he has this sense of being, of of discomfort or unease. Those were the only moments where I kind of felt some sort of emotion watching the show. Like you you do get the sense of like, oh, this isn't right. Whereas I think Elizabeth Olsen is also a very good actress. I think she does a very good job in the show. I think like, again, all the different sitcom types of acting that she does in the course of a pretty short span of time is really impressive. I always felt like I could kind of sense the acting a little bit more from her, which maybe you could say is intentional because like she is kind of performing within the context of the show. But I also think she kind of has a little bit of a thankless task because I still feel like I don't know this woman by the end of the show. She's done a morally reprehensible thing (laughs) by like keeping all of these people captive in her weird little brain tomb. And the finale seems to get her off ethically by being like, well, but it wasn't on purpose. So, but by like halfway through the show, she definitely knows that she's doing it. And I think the show just like, doesn't want to have to deal with the consequences of what it's actually set up. Because yeah, she has to be a big hero with, in the
0: movies. It simultaneously is doing that. And it also is kind of teasing the potential for her to become a super Because it's all like, oh, you have these huge powers which can end the world or whatever. Which is, you know, the finale teaser thing. But tying into what you said about how they didn't really have much screen time in the movies and this show basically set up their relationship from scratch. I, from the beginning, was like this is actually a genius way to do that because instead of trying to be like oh we're gonna build on this like famed romance you all recall from the films, they're like we are going to completely just drop these people into the suburbs as if they've been married for years and that way you can kind of just create that from nowhere in a really fun way that really works. And that can kind of build the idea that this person is really grieving a real relationship. And obviously for a lot of fans, like people are extremely invested in these characters because they themselves have like put the emotional work into being invested. So I'm not kind of discounting all of the fans who came into the show feeling really strongly about Wanda and or Vision. But like in the actual canon... There's not much to work with at all. Like it's all happening inside people's own hearts and brains. Which I fully understand because Morgan and I were like big winter soldier fans for years. But <laughs> but then, as Morgan as Morgan said, once you kind of get to the point where you're going back to their real personalities, instead of kind of building on what they've had before, the show Still doesn't really know what Scarlet Witch's personality is, so you get more of what this what I was complaining about in the films, which is, you know, her main role in the films is to look upset because something bad has happened, be angry, and then throw around red balls of CGI light, and that is pretty much ninety nine percent of what happens in the final episode of the show once she's fully kind of embracing her powers. And also the kind of show's conclusion is all about like, oh, she now knows she's the Scarlet Witch. She can now unleash her full force. And it's like, that is not emotionally relevant to the rest of the story you've just been telling. That's like Pokemon card information. <laughs> so so yes. there's all of that. And it kind of, it just feels like a little bit of a waste of what an interesting concept that is, because we talked a few episodes ago in one of their Lord of the Rings episodes, I think, about how... Hollywood is extremely good at doing sci-fi but not good at fantasy and that really was something I was thinking about a lot while watching this show because while effectively like most Marvel films are fantastical they're not like high fantasy you know they're just like oh we've made up like a magical superpower and the whole premise of Scarlet Witch is that she is a witch and her powers in the films are depicted as either kind of fairly basic mind control illusions or big red blast blasts of light. And WandaVision is the first time we see her doing something really interesting with those powers and it's told in a way that doesn't need to feel too fantasy-ish, like it just feels like, you know, sitcoms. But then once they go back to her normal powers at the end, they just revert back to the really boring stuff. And it's like, you need to find writers who are interested and compelled by the concept of fantasy and witchcraft. And they've just not looked at that at all. And that was something I was writing about quite a lot while covering the show, Morgan, is it okay that I'm just monologuing for this whole episode? <laughs>
1: Please. I mean, I have thoughts about this too that yeah. I basically disagree with you, but you you go and then I will add to your your good opinions Okay, this, so.
0: <laughs> so there's two elements here. One of which is the concept of kind of witchcraft and wizardry is two kind of disparate fantasy concepts. And also Scarlet Witch's origins in the first place. So the origins of this character are extremely flexible because her canon has been famously like all over the place for many decades as has Quicksilvers because in some of the comics they're Magneto's kids and in some of them they're not and in the MCU they obviously can't be mutants or Magneto's children because the D- Disney did not have the rights to the mutants. So they made up a new backstory for her in the movies where she and her brother come from a recently invented Eastern European country called Sokovia, which is extraordinarily thinly written and meaningless. It's just like a sort of Cold War stereotype. destroyed. Yeah. Except they're also millennials. So it's like like, you have to say that all of Eastern Europe is the Cold War at all times, but also they're millennials. So like when we see them as children, it's like 1998, but whatever. The actual problem here is that the original characters were Jewish and Romani. So this is basically whitewashing. Like you have taken a character who is an ethnic minority who experiences a great deal of oppression, especially in Europe, and you've erased that part of their backstory. And the way that happened in the MCU was particularly insulting because Joss Whedon was basically just like we're just gonna get rid of that and we're gonna have them get their superpowers by like volunteering for neo-Nazi experiments and then they get their powers from there. One Division kind of walks that back and says that Wanda always had her powers and they were just sort of given like a booster shot by touching Loki's spear, whatever, it doesn't matter. But um... From day 1 there's definitely been public criticisms about the fact that Elizabeth Olsen was cast as this character who should be Romani which has happened on several occasions with like different uh like comic book characters because there are actually a few and obviously it's one of these situations where the character's origins have a problematic background because it's like oh here's a witch who is fulfilling stereotypes <laughs> which have been around for centuries but that's kind of what's happened with like a lot of characters who are from marginalized backgrounds in these franchises, right? Like admittedly their background is in some way racist or offensive, but over the decades they are they evolve and they are rewritten often by creators of that background to become more empowering and interesting. And that's like exactly what happened with a lot of the characters in Black Panther once that movie was like under the control of a black creator who had you know actually interesting thoughts about the roles you know you have really thoughtful compelling world building in that movie um the opposite happened with Wanda where it's like we're going to completely remove all of this backstory there's like no acknowledgement of the idea that she is like from an ethnic minority and you can tell that Elizabeth Olsen like really actively doesn't give a shit about it in quite a kind of unpleasant way Obviously in America, there's like a lot less understanding of this because, you know, there are not many Romani people in America, but in the UK and in Europe, there is, there is a population of uh, travelers and Romani people here, and they are constantly like experiencing horrifying structural racism and have been like forever. And people kind of know this if you've seen like the Hunchback of Notre Dame, like it's, it's not like a kind of a weird, obscure thing. Like it appears in pop culture and there's a lot of stereotyping and that sort of thing. And The kind of old and now considered rather racist term for these people is gypsy, which is not a term which I would use. But Elizabeth Olsen has used it in interviews and she's been kind of publicly called out for this, like literally kind of live on talk shows in Britain on a talk show. So she's kind of aware it's bad and she still uses it. And she kind of uses it in a really weird context where she'll be kind of describing her costumes and be like, oh, yeah, I've got this like gypsy costume. And it's like, well, first of all, you don't. You're just kind of wearing normal clothes in your movies or you're wearing a superhero outfit. And secondly, you've been kind of informed that you shouldn't be using this language. So it kind of leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth in terms of her attitude towards that. And they have this like weird, like really minor joke in the show where they kind of go, oh, she's wearing like a Sokovian fortune-teller costume for Halloween. And I'm just like, I mean, this isn't like a really like aggressively racist joke because you're talking about like Sokovia and it's all kind of under layers of like nonsense. Like it, it's not like a direct dig. But it's like a weird microaggression where it's like you're kind of calling back to this old racist stereotype that the character is based on, while also like really carefully erasing all of those actual elements of the character's ethnicity. And it's just like, you don't have to do this. It's just like weird and insulting. And it kind of emphasizes the way that Disney is willing to kind of embrace the idea of representation and diverse casting if they feel it's something that's going to be like profitable towards them. And if it's not, they're just like, we just don't care. (laughs) Um, So, yeah.
1: Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And I think the idea that the company has any actual, like, moral investment in diversity is obviously untrue. Like, they don't give a shit. I mean,
0: definitely, there's loads of individual creators who care deeply, but it's like, you have to maneuver in and out of all this like yeah. commercial stuff.
1: <laughs> I I refer to the corporate entity.
0: Yeah.
1: Here. But uh this has happened with animated films that they've done for like decades, right? Like constantly this happens where they're like we really just want to represent you know the people authentically and then people criticize them and then they do it again the next well, time. Like, like it's Mulan you know
0: was the the live action version just truly <sighs> truly a fiasco. <laughs>
1: Yes, but I think that all of, you know, everything you say about this gets to the sort of core of what doesn't work about the show or, like, it's an expression of the central problem, which is that there's just no there there, and, like, they've clearly thought so hard about certain elements. Like, the sitcom pastiches, obviously the, like, you know, costume and production designers, etc. who worked on all of those things, worked tremendously hard to make them look correct. And I applaud those craftsmen for their hard work.
0: The detail is incredible. A friend of mine told me that they apparently used like a 1950s or 60s physical lighting rig when doing one of the black and white episodes with an in-house studio audience. And I was just like, oh, what the fuck?
1: (laughs) Yeah, we should say the director of the whole Show, I believe, is Matt Shackman, who has directed a tremendous number of television episodes. And he was for a long time one of the main directors of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and directed a lot of the most memorable episodes of that show, including the musical episode and, and also episode... Game of
0: Thrones. So I fully respect the vast there array <laughs> of.
1: <laughs> but none of the. You know, WandaVision, it, it doesn't mean anything. Right. Like they do these sitcom pastiches. And at first I was like, oh, interesting. Like, what is this commenting on? And it's commenting on nothing. Like, they are saying nothing about sitcoms. Yeah. They are saying nothing about the heteronormative family structure. They are saying nothing about romance. They are saying nothing about, like, whiteness in sort of America and which how is, is wild because like television. there's so
0: many movies and TV shows that are about these kind of elements of suburban life there's a link to it in the show notes but there's like an excellent thread by one of io9's kind of Marvel people who he's like this huge expert in Scarlet Witch his name's Charles Pulliam Moore and he just did like a Twitter thread with each episode where he's kind of talking about different elements of the episode that are kind of talking about like whiteness in the suburbs and like kind of looking at um, how there's like points where she like kicks out Tiona Paris's character, who's a black character and like removes her from the neighborhood and that sort of thing. And absolutely none of this is text. Like this is stuff that this critic is kind of like looking into as, you know, from his own perspective. And it's all incredibly insightful. But I was like, just kept thinking, like, imagine if all of this was intentional,
1: (laughs) if only. And that character persists in being like, we just have to help Wanda. And I was like, why do you feel this way?
0: By the end, she's kind of like loitering in the background while they do their shootout. And I was like, this is such a weird role. Like, it's she's so kind of sidelined. I mean,
1: <laughs> it's completely just like they've added a black woman to this show so that she can like look sympathetically at Elizabeth Olsen and be like, I'm validating your obscene moral decision making here. <laughs> like, and
0: and to get like an origin story so she can be in the Captain Marvel movie. <laughs>
1: Yes, obviously this character is going to appear again in future. Like, great for her. You know, the actress seems excited. I'm sure she's making a ton of money. That's fantastic. But particularly in the finale, when she's just like, I just, you know, I just, you know, I support Wanda so much. I was like, why? (laughs) Like, For what possible reason? It just doesn't make any sense. And so again, they've thought so much about some parts, but then when you get to the actual, like, thematic elements of the show the emotional stuff that's going on it just completely falls apart there is a hilarious moment in the finale where (laughs) so Vision has kind of been figuring out that something's not right throughout the sort of middle and later chunk of the show right he talks to some of the people in the town like the real versions of them and they're like please get me out of here and he's like what the fuck and then in the finale, he encounters this, like, new version of Vision that the bad sword guy has constructed. And he, like, fights with him. I don't know. I can't remember the exact, or like, timeline of events. But he winds up seeing Wanda again. And he literally says to her, like, this is our home and we're going to fight to protect it. And I was like, weren't you just attempting to escape this place and free everyone like a half an hour ago. And now you're all like, no, we have to stay here and protect it. Like, what happened? They don't explain. Because they just have to have a big fight. The so- stuff
0: the stuff that about parenthood was just very funny. To me, I was like, this is just such a hilarious encapsulation of the way superhero comics treat parenthood and motherhood specifically, because obviously superhero comics love daddy issues and they love, you know, there's rarely any mothers with significant narrative roles in superhero comics because it's quite sexist. And in terms of the actual heroes, most of the main heroes aren't parents. And if they are parents, the kids are like not Like child age kids are not super relevant. So, occasionally a female character will have a baby, but you're then trapped in this like difficult logistical situation where either she has to be like taking care of the baby, which is enormously inconvenient for superhero storytelling, or you get into the problem with the fact that time doesn't pass in the Marvel or DC universe. So, either you have to use some kind of magic to age them up, or you have to like just reboot it so like she doesn't have a baby anymore because they can't get much older than about five (laughs) so the Fantastic Four get away with this because the concept of the Fantastic Four is that they are a family so the main couple have kids that are often child aged but like if you have someone like Jessica Jones having a baby it just ends up being a total fiasco because the character is not Like not really very maternal in the first place but you're like okay I completely understand that she wants kids with her one true love Luke Cage but then when she has kids it's like this doesn't fit narratively with the concept you have and most of the writers of these comics are men and I have no idea how many of them have children but like they don't seem to have much understanding of like motherhood or parenthood or whatever and so with this show you've got this situation where Wanda, most of the people in Wanda's world are real people who she's brainwashed. But she also creates these two children from, from nowhere. So in one episode, they're babies. And then the next episode, they're like little kids. And then they kind of grew up to about the age of 10. So they're about 10 for two or three episodes. And by that point, they are like established characters. And the implication is that they are sentient, like they are actually self-aware human beings, even though they have been created from nothingness, because she's just so powerful, she can do that. And this is like an echo of something they have in the comics. These characters in the comics do kind of get created. They get erased and then they come back again and they are like members of the Young Avengers. They're teen superheroes. So clearly those characters are going to kind of come back later in the franchise. But um, like the way they kind of treat parenthood is completely off the wall because they make it really clear that she loves these kids like they're, they're her own kids. But they're also like, look, we know that kind of she envisions like memories and brains are fucked up because they've deluded themselves into thinking they're sitcom characters and these kids have literally been there for like a week so they don't actually have that depth of feeling of having raised the children for 10 years but at the same time they are real kids and they really love them and kind of the finale does have this scene where they're like we're going to fight for this this life in this house and like we live here together and we're a family but then when the show ends they have to be like well bye-bye vision you're dead and also bye-bye kids But like the bye-bye kids scene is they literally like tuck the children to bed and then leave and then the children like disintegrate off screen so we don't have to watch it. And I'm like, these children are self-aware. They know what's happening. Why aren't they like panicking about the fact they're about to be like exploded into nothingness? So they've just kind of written it into a situation where that's convenient, where they can just get rid of the kids. And that means that Scarlet Witch can go off and like have adventures again. And there's a post-credit scene, which I don't know if you stuck around for, but there's a post-credit scene where you see Wanda like teaching herself magic from like the magic MacGuffin book that um Catherine Han gave her earlier in the episode. And she's like, oh, I and you hear like her children's voices in her mind. So it's kind of implying that she's gonna use her magic to get the kids back. But once again, that means that they've used zero time to explore the idea of motherhood or her being a parent or the idea of these kids as like human beings. And instead you've created created a situation where she doesn't have to be a mother or do any parenting, but she does now have like a new motive to do some super magic to get back the kids, which is a story where you don't have to have any kids on screen. And it's like, this is all terrible. Like, it's just bad.
1: (laughs) Well, and it also, again, is like playing on this concept of grief that isn't really grief. Because... They're gone, but they did never really exist. And instead of her grieving them, she's like, I will resuscitate them. Right. Yeah. And like, vision's clearly going to come back too in some form. So.
0: And they have I mean, like an earlier su- episode where like the family puppy dies and the kids are like, oh, bring it back to life. And she has this very serious conversation with them where she's like, we can't bring people back to life. <laughs> it's like, oh, like, you've learned nothing then.
1: <laughs> right. And it's a superhero, you know, show, movie, whatever. So like, no one is ever really dead. <laughs> like, the idea of doing this kind of story in this, you know, environment of this universe is so stupid because everything's impermanent. It doesn't work. They do not have the spine to actually stick to their guns about anything. So, like, emotionally, it's just completely false because, like, you know, Vision's not gonna really die.
0: He's got It was we very know funny. He's but, like, they have a farewell, and instead of the farewell just being like, we're going to just have an, a fully emotional conversation where Vision and Wanda say goodbye to each other, they say goodbye, but only after Wanda has like explained about something about the Mindstone, which is like, I don't care about the Mind Stone. <laughs> and okay. also made it really explicitly clear to the audience that like Vision's gonna come back pretty soon. Presumably a line that like is interrupting this emotional scene because the writer's thinking, oh, I don't want to have to keep answering questions about this in interviews afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, what? A... You know, I I have so much respect for the showrunner Jack Schaefer, and I think possibly it was a situation where like you're kind of trying to balance more interesting storytelling with like the demands of the studio, uh, but like.
1: well there's an interesting version of this and like have you've read the the vision comic right yeah yeah i feel like you have told me in the past and i've you know heard from other people that like that comic is so genuinely kind of like unnerving and upsetting and the fact that he is not real and the kids are not real in this is never really dealt with in any way right like because you the parts pro- where he's
0: having identity issues are very compelling but then in the finale he just becomes like supportive husband
1: yes you're processing him the whole show basically as as vision he's just he just is but it would be so much more interesting if he genuinely were just like he's just a figment right like of her imagination which technically is the case but that's not how the show really depicts him And then the kids, too, obviously, they're just not interesting, period. But if it were more textually dealt with, that she has completely just fucking fabricated these children. And instead it's like, oh, no, it's so sad about her kids dying. It's like she fucking made them up a week ago. Like That's crazy. That's a crazy thing to do. But it kind of wants us to remain on her side. And I'm not saying that the show should have been like, she's a lunatic, she's a villain, she should be killed. But like, it just can't cope with any kind of ambiguity or ambivalence. And so that messes it up. And I also think, back to what you were kind of saying about like, the Lord of the Rings comparison, I think Hollywood in general is very bad at depicting magic. Like, there are not very many examples of this being done well. Lord of the Rings is a rare example of that obviously... Totally succeeding. Not that you're seeing a bunch of like big spells going off in that, but the sense of just like awe at the sort of otherworldly in those movies is so totally convincing 95% of the time. And as someone who doesn't really read many fantasy books now, but like when I was in elementary and middle school, I almost exclusively read YA fantasy. Like I read the entire section of the library in the town of the like YA fantasy section I read every book and I loved them so much and I think part of what's hard about doing that like recreating the feeling you get reading a book like that in a movie is that it's so internal in your head and this stuff doesn't exist in real life like unlike science fiction which is drawing more heavily on real technology or technology that you can kind of imagine might exist fantasy is just stuff that like magic is fake it doesn't it's not real. But when you're reading about it, you, it, it's drawing on emotions that are real. So you're kind of having an emotional response and imagining something that you kind of feel like could be possible. Visualizing that is a tremendously difficult. And Marvel has done the most half-assed. <laughs> like, they just don't try at all. And instead you get this just like weird light stuff but it's a combination of like bad visualization and also them not even attempting to convey any of that sense of wonder yeah that i think really separates I completely really good agree cuz like the, you
0: with with Doctor Strange it's like Doctor Strange primarily when it got praise it was for like the visual effects which are actually not that interesting but they are a bit more weird than the other Marvel movies so like by comparison but it's mostly just like oh we've done psychedelic effects on stuff you already saw in inception yeah but I completely I completely agree with what you're saying, and I think you know a sense of like religious awe I'm unlikely to expect in a Marvel franchise. But I think the world building <laughs> is just like extremely weak because you have this kind of team of creators who are very familiar with uh, superhero comics of the kind of sci fi adventure side, which is what kind of the Avengers and comics and movies focus on. And I think there's a lot of shorthand which they are both familiar with and is very easy to use in a sci fi adventure context that they're not using similar shorthand for fantasy and also it's harder to do that in a shorthand way with fantasy without it seeming like extraordinarily corny what they've got with scarlet witch and doctor strange is these two like incredibly basic kind of witch wizard archetypes which they've not examined at all so like the concept of of scarlet witch until now is that like she's got this massive natural power which she's unleashing because she's emotionally uncontrolled and tormented which is like a classic kind of girl with superpowers story which sometimes can be really sexist and other times is actually pretty legit and interesting like in the movie Carrie and then with Doctor Strange it's like oh I sit in my dark tower with my you know special candles and my magical books and I learn everything perfectly and I'm like this amazing weird intellectual who's got all these ancient scrolls right which is classic wizard material he's like fully wizard he's into collecting all of his little magical objects and he goes to like martial arts school and he's a big old snob so like those are the two kind of types of like cliched witches and wizards and in one division, they introduce this character called Agatha Harkness, who's kind of part of the witch culture. Of course she is from Salem. God. Um, because pop culture <laughs> has this like garbage image of Salem where it's just like, please stop doing witches at Salem. It's just, it's not good. But like, she's like part of a coven or whatever, 400 years ago. And also she's got like a witchy book that ends up being given to Scarlet Witch so she can finally learn the runes or whatever of her real witch heritage. But it's like the most basic stuff and they've put kind of no thought into any kind of like fantasy research like even if the Buffy the Vampire Slayer like levels Buffy had like a ton of kind of traditional like witchcraft you know fantasy research they'd plopped in there in a completely accessible way to mainstream non-nerdy audiences and it's like you need to do something like that because the more of that kind of depth you have going on with these characters the more compelling and interesting they're going to be And there's like literally none of that at all with either of them. And it's like the next phase of Marvel is clearly edging into a more fantasy direction because you've got a big Doctor Strange movie, which Scarlet Witch is going to be in. You've got the Immortals, which is kind of old Greek gods or whatever with Angelina Jolie. And then you're going to have kind of more of the like Thor stuff. You've got a Thor movie and they're also going to have Blade, which is going to be fucking vampires. They're bringing vampires in, which I'm very excited about. But it's like, so your franchise is now going to be fantasy focused instead of military action focused. But none of you have any real interest in the genre of fantasy.
1: Well, and they can't let go of the military stuff. Right. I mean, the 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 FBI military stuff stuff in this show i was just like rolling my eyes so hard they were falling out of my head i could not cope it's so boring and predictable i mean basically you've got um randall park playing the like you're like friendly neighborhood fbi agent, <laughs> who of course has to go up against whatever the white guy's name is. I can't remember. Um, He's been on, like, every TV show. And he, of course, is, like, the one member of the U.S. government who's going too far. And everyone else thinks that he's out of control. (laughs) As opposed to everyone at these places being corrupt and working for a bad system. So strange. And it just like it if you have any grasp of how the military propaganda works in these things it's so transparent but i was just watching this thinking like my god if you don't know how this stuff works and you're just uncritically consuming this which is how most people consume these things it's just so disgusting and insidious yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean there's been a lot of discussion about that over the past couple of weeks. I'm not sure if it's because there was like it because of the show or because of some other thing maybe with Brie Larson or something because like Captain Marvel is like the ultimate military propaganda in this franchise, which is impressive because the Iron Man and Captain America franchises are also that. Um but yes. kind of there's been a lot of people talking about this and like obviously a lot of really intense Marvel fans are like disgusted by the idea that Marvel might be described as military propaganda because like you know it's not like it's saying war is good and it's like that is not like that's not what it is. Like these characters are heroes who are representing the US military. And even if they are destroying other members of like the government and the military who are bad, there's still like the good guy is the protagonist. And the driving force of the story is like we're gonna root out the bad apples. And like Morgan said, in this show features a fictional agency where like the bad guy is removed by the good guys, so we can still have this agency which was like easily corrupted by having one bad guy in charge, which is like no. If you have an agency where the boss can tell a bunch of soldiers to point their guns at two children in a suburban street, then the agency itself is like the problem. The fact that he's there, it's like it's like this is not the problem is not resolved. <laughs> but also you have like obviously Randall Park being very cute as like an FBI agent and he is like the one FBI agent in the franchise i think so it's like this is your represent- representation of the FBI and american pop culture fucking loves the FBI and it's like yeah they're shit they're not they're not like a go- they're not like a force for good you know and then in the next tv show in the bucky and sam tv show you're going to have M- emily van camp as a cia agent Because in whichever movie it was last that she was in, they have like a wee finale where it's like, oh, you know, she's going to join the CIA now. And it's like, the CIA is like the worst one. (laughs) That's the worst option. And like, whenever there's Uh any piece of media that's about the CIA, I'm like gobsmacked. (laughs) Because the two things that the CIA does is be incompetent and be evil. Like, that's like the two kind of like fundamental elements.
1: (laughs) Well... I mean, what's just so ultimately depressing about all of this to me is like, this is now obviously we're in a strange television landscape at the moment because of the pandemic. And there certainly has been production going on, but it has not been at full force everywhere. So there haven't been as many TV shows, which has allowed this to be totally culture consuming for the past two months. But Falcon Winter Soldier is in two weeks. And then I assume there will be just a brief break between that ending and Loki and I just have this vision of like this is just television now it's like fucking Marvel shows that everyone will lose their minds trying to figure out every week and like I didn't like Game of Thrones either I watched the first few seasons and, like, kind of enjoyed it, and then I really went off of it, and then by the time it was ending, I was really sick of it, because I didn't watch it anymore, and everyone was obsessed with it, and I was like, ugh. But at least that was, like, trying to do something, you know? It was an adaptation of popular books, whatever. And this just feels to me like they're just encroaching on yet another aspect of popular culture that they're just going to take over. I mean, they're in the process of doing it, right? And what's kind of so insidious about this show to me is that like, I didn't particularly care for it, as we have spent an hour discussing. But it's not like it's badly made, right? Like, obviously all the craft stuff is really impressive. The actors are good. The director is very talented. He does a really good job. And it all kind of fits together plot-wise in a very intelligent way, as we were saying up at the top. So this is what they do with the movies too. Marvel movies are never bad. They're just, like, fine. So now they're just gonna bring this to television where that's gonna be the thing that everyone's talking about, but the people making them have no creative freedom to say anything interesting about anything in the world, right? Like, if I have no idea what the opinions of these artists are about anything, but like if they have a critique of say the FBI or the CIA or whatever, this is not it's not permitted to be aired in this forum because that's not allowed. And it really reminds me of like the studio days of the 30s and 40s, which obviously produced much better art than this. But you know there was stuff that they literally weren't allowed to talk about. Because of the Hays Code. And in this case, it's just that Disney's like, well, we don't really care for that. So, no, no. And then, like, what happens?
0: Yeah. I completely agree with everything you've said. And I'd also like to add, if Netflix doesn't start doing weekly episode releases, they're mad. Because Netflix and Disney, like, the, the main reason, like, obviously people like Marvel, but, like, the fact that Disney and Marvel both have a colossal user base already is the reason why these shows are so widely discussed. And if you have a co- like a water cooler show that's being released every week that will dominate the conversation. And yep. the thing about Netflix shows is you can have like a completely original Netflix show that's a hit. And sometimes they are like relatively interesting or relatively weird or thought-provoking, more so than something like this. But they only last a week <laughs> because they're all released at once.
1: I do not understand what they're doing. Can you imagine if Bridgerton had been released weekly? Holy shit. That I mean I didn't watch it I don't care. But like that show would have like Twitter would have lost its fucking mind to say nothing of The Crown, right? Another show I don't particularly care for, but like people fucking love that. And they are literally just shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah,
0: I mean, the only explanation I can come up with other than like they've decided that their audience like only wants to binge watch stuff. And like they'll lose interest after two episodes if they only release them one at a time. Like they're like, our product is not designed to be released once a week because people forget it. The only other explanation I can think of is that they've literally made too much. So they can't release them staggered because then they'll have 15 yeah. shows being released at once.
1: <laughs> well, they, they have made too much. Oh they yeah, I mean they've definitely got stuff. too much
0: already, but it's like, the, they would just be like it would be impossible, because like, it would just it would seem like more than it already is.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe they should focus on making slightly better television and make slightly less of it. That would be my recommendation to them. Which they could probably do, because production's been slowed down. So you know um, it will be really interesting to see what happens with that though, because I think This should be a huge warning sign to them that they're in trouble because this completely ate the internet.
0: Yeah, and And so did The Mandalorian, which I literally have muted on all platforms and still obviously (laughs) permeates.
1: (laughs) And I'm certain that the next two Marvel shows will do the same thing. Yeah. So if you're another streaming platform, I mean, they must all be sweating. Yeah. (laughs) Apologies to anyone who is just like, I love WandaVision. Can't wait to
0: hear their thoughts. We should have just released a five-minute episode rating the wigs, which was the best and worst wigs of WandaVision. (laughs)
1: Oh my god. Well, I literally had the thought of, like, the wigs in the episodes, like, earlier chronologically, you know, in the 20th century. Great wigs. They're clearly wigs, but they look fine. I thought they looked fine. But the contemporary wig? Oofed. It's... I don't understand. I do not understand how they look exactly the same kind of bad <laughs> every time. Like, I can usually identify a wig, even a good one. But if they're really good, I'm not in any way bothered by that, right? Like, Juliana Margulies has a great wig in The Good Wife. And, like, whatever. I'm not thinking about that watching that show. And all the women in all these Marvel films have, like identically terrible wigs that are the worst I have seen in basically any current production and they spend hundreds of millions of dollars on this stuff Who who's responsible for this? I want names like <laughs> what? why? has none of these women been like I would like a better wig please I mean what's going on? alright well next week
0: join us for Men in Black <laughs>
1: Yes, it will be more fun than this. I can't wait to watch Men in Black for the first time. You know, enjoying some mainstream cop- pop culture that doesn't suck will be a balm to my soul. Uh, so we are very much looking forward to that. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do that at www.patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. We greatly appreciate it. Gavia,
0: where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find me on YouTube at Behind the Seams, where I have a video talking about the history of sitcom costume design. So that's Behind the Seams. And you can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor.
1: And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at M L Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at OverInvestedPod. Our Tumblr is Podcast, And our website is OverInvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.